Let's take our Bibles, please, turn to Matthew chapter 6 this morning, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, young people, you are dismissed. Let's move quietly to our junior church hour, Matthew chapter 6. Tonight is our Academy Awards and graduation ceremony, and I would ask you to pray about that. We had many uh, away on vacation in the last week, and many of them came home sick. Uh, They passed it around camping together, and so we're a little concerned that some of our young people may not make it tonight, strep throat and different things, and so they're on the mend. I just saw a couple go out that I thought were sick, so I'm praising the Lord that they're doing better, and uh, we'll hope that uh, we have a good turnout tonight. Uh, Kids work hard all year, and they hate to miss uh, that little moment of recognition, so would you pray about that? And could I encourage you to come, and you say, well, I don't have a child or a grandchild here but uh, in the academy, but... If we believe in Christian education and as a ministry of the church, would you, would you please invest in that and be a part of that? And we appreciate so much this church's sacrifice all these years and uh, to make sure that we have a ministry. When I first came to Bethel Baptist Church 13 years ago, I remember sitting down in, in financial meetings once in a while, and, and the questions would come up, you know, what, what, did, uh, what did we spend on the bus ministry, or what did we invest in the youth program, or what did we do? And, they, and then once, one time somebody said this, what did the school cost us this year? And I said, guys, I said, we gotta change our thinking. That is our future. Those are our young people. And it's an investment, just like every other ministry of the church. It's important. It's not a cost. It's an investment. And so let's, let's keep that in our minds and, and prayers today as we consider uh, tonight what is happening for our graduation and award ceremony. So we pray that you be there. Pastor uh, Nicholas Russo will be with us. And some of you don't know him. If you've ever been to the summit, you've probably seen him and you'll recognize him. He's actually Matthew's pastor. And uh, from Rochester, New York, and, and over the years of just being over there to visit or uh, what have you, uh, we've got, become friends a little bit, and, and so I invited him to come. They're just a couple hours away from us, and so they'll be driving up this afternoon. If you'll just pray that they can get across the border easily, that there's no lineup, and then the Russo family will be with us tonight to bring our commencement address, and so we're looking forward uh, to that. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, if anybody sees anybody get up and leave the room, I just want you to know the bacon is locked away, all right? It's under lock and key. The ladies are saying, what is the big deal about bacon? Well, ladies, it's, this, it's like this, chocolate. <laughs> bacon is to men as chocolate is to ladies, and so if you can get that, you'll understand why this is such a monumental occasion for us. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. I I actually prepared two other messages this week, and I just could not get a piece about either of them uh, for Father's Day. And then uh, again this morning, I I, I said, I I don't have a piece with either of those messages. And and the Lord just laid this upon my heart, our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven. And though we are thankful for our fathers here on earth, When we come into the place of worship, there's only one who receives glory. There's only one who we exalt and lift up. There's only one that we will uh, sing his praises today, and that's God our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples how to pray. They actually came to him and asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I think it's an interesting note that I've heard other preachers say, it's not original to me, that Jesus never taught the disciples how to preach. He taught them how to pray. And when we have a spiritual life and we walk with God, preaching comes easy. 
And, and I, I know that there are certain services where uh, we'll have a worship time and the choir sings and different songs that just seem to move my heart in a certain way. And I'll think, man, you could almost preach anything today and the Lord is already working and moving. You just have to open the Bible and go. And, and it just seems that way. And I've been in those meetings in other places where the, the same thing takes place. You can just sense the Spirit of God move in and, and it doesn't matter what is preached because God is already going to use his word. That's what the spiritual life is all about. When we walk with the Lord, and I've been in those places where I remember also that maybe my heart and my mind were not just in the service like they should have been. And, you know, sometimes you're traveling. Have you ever, you ever been traveling and you go to a, a strange church, a different church? And you don't know what to expect, and you kind of got your guard up a little bit. And, and so that happens, and I'll go into a place. And honestly, when my guard is up, I'm not worshiping like I should. I'm, I'm kind of maybe even with a critical spirit wondering where this is going. And I listen to the preacher, and then after, I'll see some dear saint at the altar weeping and saying, Bless God, what a day. The Lord moved to my heart. And I realized that it had to do with the condition of their heart. Because they were walking with the Lord, and God began to move and speak. I think that's what is so important about prayer. Why it's so important that we exalt the Father today. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. I'll just read the one verse, and we will look at verse 9 and 10, uh, verse 10 later on. But look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, look at those next four words, hallowed be Thy name. Would you read that verse out loud with me together? Let's, let's read it together. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I don't know if you were watching the news or if it came across maybe your social media in the last week or so, but there was a Jeopardy question. How many of you caught that about the Lord's Prayer? Anybody see that? A few of you have. And they asked the question, our Father which art in heaven, and the blank was this, be thy name. And all three contestants stared at the screen and they did not know what the word hallowed was. We are just one generation away from having recited the Lord's Prayer every day in school. I remember right into my high school years, so about 1987, they stopped doing the Lord's Prayer in schools, but every day from the time I was in kindergarten till about 10th grade, we sang, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we recited the entire Lord's Prayer as a class after hearing the, the Canadian National Anthem played over the loudspeakers, and I don't even know if they do that anymore. But I thought, here's a, a group of contestants on a popular game show who have uh, re uh, learned and studied and tried to know as many facts as they can. These are the smartest people. They weed out a lot of contestants. And yet they did not know those simple words, hallowed be thy name. I want you to notice this morning as we come to our Father, we are to come with the heart's attitude that he is holy. Hallowed be thy name. Father, I pray that you bless us a few minutes in your word today. We thank you for the exhortations that we've already heard, how they've challenged our hearts. Lord, one about your all-sufficient grace and the other about the hope of heaven. And Lord, we've sang the songs that go right along with that. And 
Lord, if it, if it were not for your grace, there'd be no hope of heaven. But we thank you for a Savior that loved us. And Father, as we pray to you this moment in your Son's name, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to focus for the next few minutes upon the Word of God, that it would speak to our hearts and help us. Lord, I need your help, and I pray that you'd fill me with thy Holy Spirit. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I preached a message regarding approaching the throne of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I try not to be reactionary in my preaching. I really do. And so if I'm going to address a subject and preach on something like I did a few weeks ago, woke Christianity or something that's going on in, in our society, I will try to give it a couple weeks. I want to pray about it and be careful about it and make sure that it's from the Lord and not just from a heart of anger or uh, righteous indignation even. I, I want to make sure that the Lord is, is, is behind it and that's what I should be preaching on that particular service. But not that Sunday. <laughs> In all honesty, it was a Sunday night, and I opened up the Bible to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, and it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace and ask for mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And, and it was in response to something that happened in the morning service. We had a guest in our service that day, and it was a young man that had graduated Bible college, and I knew a little bit about his family, and I just simply invited him to open in prayer. And when he bowed his head, he said, hey, God. And I just about fell off the pulpit. And throughout the prayer, he prayed this young, hip, cool prayer as he was addressing God. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that Jesus is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. And there are times where we will have conversations with our Lord like he is our closest, dearest friend. But when we come to prayer, we need to understand this. Sometimes, and I know it's just semantics, and I'm not trying to beat up anybody on what they say. Sometimes we say, dear Jesus, we're not really praying to Jesus. We are praying to the Father in Jesus' name. He is God on the throne. And throughout his prayer, he would say, hey, God, hi, God, and just flippantly use language that denigrated the very throne. I thought if you were stepping into the throne room of Queen Elizabeth, you wouldn't dare talk like that for an earthly king or queen. And yet, spiritually speaking, we are stepping into the throne room of the Most High God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I was reactionary in my preaching that day. I'll just go ahead and say it. I was angry. I kind of took the attitude and I excused myself from doing it by taking the attitude of David when the Goliath was shouting against the armies of the living God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And how dare he speak about our God like that? I remember that night asking some questions. Just simply reminding us of when we go to prayer and we go boldly in the throne of grace how we are to approach God's throne. And, and so I asked some of these questions, and here they are just by way of introduction this morning. Number one, where are we going? When we go to prayer, where are we going? We are going to the throne of grace. We are bowing spiritually at the very feet of Jesus. 
God the Father and Jesus at his right hand forever making intercession for the saints. And so we come in his name and we bow at the throne of our Father God. We need to be reminded from time to time while we pray where we are going. I understand that when you're driving a car and you hit that black ice and you're about to slide into a telephone pole, all formality goes out the window. And we cry out to God, don't we? God help me. God save me. God protect my family. And there are cries of desperation like the song sang this morning. But friends, I believe God forgives us. And, and the Bible says in the times of our ignorance, he winked at. But listen, when, when we have the time to formally go into our closets and plead with the holy God, we need to understand where we are going. We are going right into the throne room. It's a good reminder for us this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly. It is an invitation. It is an invitation to come. It is an open invitation to come. You might remember Esther speaking with Mordecai and Haman and, and saying that I cannot dare go speak to the king, even though I'm his wife. I cannot speak to the king because I could be punished by death by entering his presence. But I will walk in the courtyard and if he sees me and calls me, then I can go. The picture is the culture surrounding the throne that we are to be invited in, but aren't you glad that we have a, a Savior who has made intercession for us and he's broken down the middle wall of partition and now he says, come. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. You don't have to be shy about it. You can come and make your requests made known unto God. So number one, where are we going? Number two, who are we meeting? It is a throne, which means there's a king upon it. Sometimes I wonder as we go to the Lord and how we must approach him and understand that he's a king. If you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 6, I think one of the greatest passages that show us the throne of God we find when Isaiah receives a vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had it. Six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him and cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of my unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Not only are we going into a room that has a throne, but we are going into the very presence of the King when we bow our heads in prayer. The third question I might ask this morning to remind us of who this Father is, where are we going, who are we meeting, Number three, what are we seeking? What are we seeking? The Bible says in Hebrews 4.16 that we may obtain mercy. That we may find, obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let's, let's be clear about something. What we are seeking is of utmost importance. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet reminds us, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and do what? 
Seek my face. When we come into the presence of the king, we are there to seek him. So many times we are there to seek the gifts that he gives. But God says, just come and seek me. Come and throw yourself upon my mercy and you will find grace. And what is grace, by the way? It is a gift. It is undeserved favor. And God says, you'll come and you'll, you'll seek mercy. You'll find me, but you'll find grace to help. And by the way, it's an all-sufficient grace. But I want you to notice the fourth question I, that I asked. What are we bringing? What are we bringing? When we were out in California, we visited the Ronald Reagan Library, Presidential Library. It's one of my favorite places to visit. Not necessarily, I was very, just a teenager when Ronald Reagan stopped being the President of the United States. But what I like about the museum itself is it makes you very proud to be a Canadian. He had an incredible relationship with Brian Mulroney and the Canadian Prime Ministers. One of the neatest things to see in that place is the things that from all over the world that other kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers would bring him upon an official visit, a gift for the president of the United States, the leader of the free world. And so you see things from China and you see things from Japan and Africa and very cultural in their nature and something that would help the president remind him of the visit. And they're all displayed in that place. And I got thinking, you know, we, we go boldly to the king and what do we bring? What is it that we have to offer him? All he wants is our praise. All he seeks is our worship. So as I remind you this morning, and I'm just, just by way of introduction, I'll move quickly through the message. Be reminded that when we come to our Heavenly Father, remember where you're going. You're going into a throne room. A couple months ago, we visited the Pearl Harbor Memorial. And we took a boat out to the remains of the USS Arizona that is sunk there in Pearl Harbor. Perhaps you've seen that white structure they've erected out over the water, right on top of You can look down into the, the, the gun turrets are removed. They've been destroyed, but you can look down into the holes where they were, and you can see the ship laid out below you. You walk into this memorial, and there's a wall at the back in a quiet room where all the names of those entombed in that ship are still there. And some that even had served on that ship but survived have now been entombed in the remains of that ship. And as we were going across on that little ferry, they said, when we get there, we want silence. We want reverence. We want respect. Please be quiet. Allow others to remember. And I got thinking, man, for those that gave their lives for our country, but I have a king who gave his life for the sins of the world. Where are we going? We're going into the throne room. Who are we seeing? We are seeing the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What are we bringing and what are we seeking? As we look back in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, the Lord Jesus taught the disciples to pray. He taught them 
to go into that throne room. Paul had not yet penned the words to Hebrews chapter 4. As a matter of fact, Paul wasn't even a child of God yet. He not yet met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He had not been gloriously saved from his sins. He had not written one word of scripture. And so perhaps the disciples did not understand totally what it meant about the throne of grace. But Jesus says, here's how we need to start. We need to understand, hallowed be thy name. See, what does this have to do with Father's Day today? That is our Father. He is our Heavenly Father. And he's the one we must glorify today. I want to give you just four words to help us understand this passage of Scripture a little better. Hallowed be thy name. Number one, here's the first word. You ready? Reverence. Reverence. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12. You can keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6. We'll come back there. But likely you've already got it memorized, that small portion of Scripture. But look, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, and jump all the way down to verse 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that Spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. He's going to talk about God. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things which are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says, as the Apostle Paul, I believe, is writing the book of Hebrews, he's talking about the very power of God, how God, with just his voice, just the spoken word, could shake the heavens and the earth. And he says, there will come a time where I'll no longer shake, but instead I will purge those things which have been shaken and remain. And he says, because we are receiving that kingdom, and he's talking about a time in the future where God will remake the earth and the new Jerusalem will come down and we will have a kingdom of God here on earth. He says this, because of this, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What does that word reverence mean? It means to have a shamefacedness, a sense of honor, a modesty, and a bashfulness. Again, I'll take you back to Esther in the Old Testament as she would not even make eye contact with the king. She would not invite herself into his presence, but instead she would just walk through the courtyard very carefully hoping for an invitation into his presence. That's how we are to approach the Lord when we say, hallowed be thy name with a godly reverence and a fear. 
Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that in light of the coming kingdom of the time where Christ will bring down the new Jerusalem, we read about it in Revelation chapter 1. And by the way, that's where God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes as we joyfully enter into that city together and, and we, we sing about that day and we, we, we long for that day. And when that day comes, he says, because it's in your sights and because it's in your future, let us walk today with reverence a shamefacedness, a sobriety, a sense of honor and bashfulness. I have seen those who go into the presence of Queen Elizabeth, now gone from this earth, and how they will lower their eyes and be careful to make any eye contact unless invited. You'll see as they come into a room and they'll line up and they'll bow their head and as she extends her hand to them, and they shake. If we have such reverence for an earthly king who will live and die, by the way, their life is a vapor just like everybody else, how much more reverence we have for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallowed, the word means to be holy, to be separated from profane things and dedicated unto God. Hallowed be thy name. First word is reverence. The second word is respect. Respect. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 17. Isaiah chapter 17. So isn't respect and reverence the same thing? No. You can reverence somebody in the very face of what the word means. You can come and you can bow your eyes and you can show that reverence, but have no respect in your heart. But notice what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1. The burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aurora are forsaken, and they shall be for flocks, which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim, and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria... They shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, saith the Lord of hosts. And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. And it shall be as when the harvest, harvest men gathereth the corn and reap the ears with his arm, and it shall be as he that gathereth ears in the valley of Rephaim. Yet gleaning grapes shall he be left in it. At the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the outmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord God of Israel. At that day, at that day, shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. And he shall not look to the altar, the work of his hands, neither shall respect that which his fingers have made either the groves or the images. Isaiah is talking about a judgment that will come upon the land, how Syria and Israel will be punished for their idol worship and their estrangement from God. And the Bible talks about in another passage referring to this time as they went a whoring after other gods. They had committed spiritual adultery. And the Bible says that God would judge them. And, and the, even the olive trees would only have a very little fruit. But what it would do was to get their eyes back on God. And the Bible says there in verse 7 that they would have a respect for him. At that day, when all this takes place, all the judgment of God, 
Man shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. Now notice verse 8, it's very important in the context. And he shall not look to the altars, the work of his hands, neither shall respect that which his fingers have made, neither the groves or the images. The word respect here in the word of God means to regard above all others. It's a little different than how we look at it today. I might have respect for Brother Kevin, and I might have respect for Brother Stuart or or Gareth or somebody else in the same manner. We can respect one another. And that's kind of what the word means to us today. We just just have a, a respect for somebody, and the word kind of defines itself. We understand what it means. But respect in the Bible meant to regard above all others. Now think about this. That puts a lot of things in context, doesn't it? When the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, it means he doesn't regard anybody else differently than anybody else. Matter of fact, we are rebuked for that, aren't we? When the Bible says if a man come into an assembly with a goodly apparel and wearing a ring and it appears that he has riches, shame on us if we show respect to that man and others we don't. We are not to be elevating anybody in our sights. But here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 17, in verse 7. God says, I get respect. And in verse 8, he gives us the context. You can't look at the works of your hands. And you can't look at the altars that you have made. And the false gods that you have set up. But instead, I reserve all the respect. When Jesus is saying, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We are saying, God, you are the only one who is holy. And we have the utmost reverence and respect for you. Nobody else is holy like our God. So it means to have reverence. It means to have respect. But also, I believe we could use this word, the word recognition. He is worthy of your praise to be recognized. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, I'll read the same phrase again. Hallowed be thy name. Jesus taught the disciples not just pray, but how they might address the Father. How they might recognize him out loud. The holiness of who he is. Now we just sang the hymn of heaven this morning. And the chorus ends with, holy, holy is the Lord. That's a phrase taken right out of the scriptures. We read in the book of Psalms several times, holy is the Lord, or be holy unto the Lord. And we've seen that all through the scriptures, holy is the Lord. And I suppose the Lord Jesus Christ could have said, our Father which art in heaven, holy is thy name. But he didn't. He used a completely different word. He used the word, hallowed be thy name. See, what is the difference? In Isaiah chapter 6, we see the seraphims each had six wings. With twain, they did cover their feet because feet were considered dirty. With twain, they did cover their eyes. And with twain, they did fly. And what did they say over and over again? Holy, holy, holy. In Revelation chapter 4, we read again of the seraphims and the angels and the cherubims. And by the way, the saints of all ages will join in singing that chorus forever. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It is an absolute statement of fact to say holy is the Lord. Father, 
Thank you. You may go. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you may leave, sir. You're disrupting a service. In case you're wondering, Brother Hank, and you'll, you'll back me up, it is against the law to interrupt a religious service in Ontario. Hallowed be thy name. Apparently somebody doesn't have respect for the holy name of God today. That saddened me. Can we pray? Father, forgive this man. Your name is holy, and as we speak of your holy name to, to rail against the things of God, oh God, help us. Speak to our hearts. Put our minds and hearts back on track. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the difference between hallowed and holy then? Holy is a fact. God is holy. The Father is holy. But hallowed means that I am setting him apart as holy in my own life. I am recognizing his holiness. I am saying, I believe God is holy. I'm not, I'm not just stating some fact, and I'm not just trumpeting what the Scripture says, but in my heart and in my mind, I am setting him apart, and I am giving him the recognition he is due that our Father is holy. And so we recognize him as such. It is a call to worship. One of the greatest chapters about worship in the Bible is Psalm 150. And for the sake of time, I won't read it all. But the very last verse is, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He is hallowed. Not only do we see he is to be reverenced, to be respected, that he's worthy of recognition, but all of this comes together in verse 10. We are to relinquish control. Notice what it says. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we struggle with surrender, don't we? But when we realize who our Father is, who our holy God is, it should be so much easier to trust him. We have a lot of dads here today, and you wanted your kids to trust you, right? You ever, you ever take them swimming and have them jump off the edge into your arms? And You ever do that? We want our kids to trust us. We want them to be able to come to us with their concerns and their cares. We want to be the men of character that we ought to be so that our kids can look up to us. There is no issue about that whatsoever with our Heavenly Father. You can trust him because he is holy. Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Let's surrender to him today. Relinquish control. Let's recognize that he is worthy. Let's give him reverence. And not only that, let's elevate him with respect. He is the one and only God, the Father upon the throne. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Well, God, help us. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Lord, I pray that God would speak louder than Satan today. God, would you move in our midst? Help us. 
to honor our Heavenly Father today like we should. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.